Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Executive Minister Matt Mazza. Just take this moment in. Just take this incredibly special moment in. This, me- this meal was so significant and so special. Just take it in. We're going to invite our kids to go ahead and be dismissed at this time, and they're going to continue on in, in their experience, in their journey, uh, in the last days of the life of Christ, in their, in their environment. Kids, so glad you guys got to be with us and, and have a wonderful next few minutes in your children's worship. So it was Thursday when Jesus asked that this meal be prepared. In Luke chapter 22, it says this, but the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be. Who would do this? Judas, Judas, Judas. What must you have been thinking as you sat around this table, as you looked into the eyes of of your friends, of your brothers, of your Messiah? You put on a face of surprise just like the others when he said these words. And Matthew even tells us that you quickly denied it, saying, it's not me, Lord, it's not me. And then Jesus looked at you and said, yes, it is you, Judas. Talk about awkward dinner conversation. What do you do with that? Could you imagine looking in the eyes of your friend, your brother, the man that you came to see as your Messiah? who loved you more than anything and knowing that you were going to betray him to his death. Why would you do it? Did you know how you were going to do it, Judas? Did you have a plan to kiss him on the cheek or was that just some spontaneous moment in the garden? You were a part of the plan. For better or worse, you were a part of the plan. Satan entered into you, and he too was a part of God's plan. Judas. Can you relate? I mean, maybe you didn't, with intentionality, make a deal with Satan to directly have Jesus arrested and eventually crucified on a cross. 
but sitting down at the table, just knowing how much you love your Jesus and how much he loves you, that you still did it, whatever it is in your life. You love him, you know he loves you, but you still do it, just like Judas. You know, we look down on Judas, and the reality is, I don't know that he's that much different than all of us. Judas wasn't really any worse, not really. He was a man that let greed and intimidation, immoral opportunity, fear, and confusion get the best of him in a moment of weakness. He was scared and alone and succumbed to the pressure of the evil one. Scripture tells us that after Jesus said those words to Judas, he got up and left. Peter, oh, Peter, oh, Peter. Is there anything you wouldn't have done for Jesus? You loved Jesus. You were fiercely protective to a fault and yet paralyzed with fear when the questions came to you about who he was. You know, Jesus rarely turned down an opportunity to teach. And as he sat at the table with his brothers, Jesus spoke about the greatest not being at this table, but being a servant. And then he looked at you, Peter, and said this, Satan is coming after you, Peter. I have prayed for you, but when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Peter looked at Jesus, responded and said, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and even to death. Oh, Peter, if you had only known what awaited you. He was your brother. You said it yourself. You were willing to die for him, and yet it was too much. Was it the fear? Was it the intimidation, Peter? Was it the uncertainty? Was it the doubt, the insecurity within yourself? What caused you to do it, Peter? Maybe it was just the simple humanity within all of us in one form or another. Peter would deny Jesus just as he said he would. He would overreact with anger and a sword in the garden of Gethsemane. Peter, he asked you not to, but you couldn't help yourself. You did it anyways. How many times, how many times have I overreacted in a situation? thinking it was justified or even the right thing to do. Maybe we all have. But for now, Peter will just sit at the table wondering, what exactly is Jesus even talking about? Maybe you've had a Peter moment as well. Have you ever had that sense of, I'm going to defend, I'm going to protect, I'm going to fight for my Jesus, my faith, my religion, whatever it may be, and the only thing you really did was make it a lot worse? Because what you thought you were doing was right. 
but you really just made it worse. I've done it. I've sat in this seat of overreaction more times than I care to remember. And in his denial, Peter ran and abandoned Jesus. James and John, what incredible brothers you were. You both literally fought for the favor of Jesus. You wanted to do whatever you could for the ministry and for the cause of the kingdom. Jesus loved you and you loved him more than any. You were the first to say yes to him. Anytime he asked anyone, you were the first two to say, we'll do it, Lord. We will do whatever you need us to do. Your people-pleasing personalities, especially in regards to Jesus, drove you to do whatever it took to make him proud. And you so desperately wanted to receive his praise and his blessings. He soon will ask the two of you, along with Peter, to go to the garden with him. It would be Jesus's most vulnerable moment up until then. And he asked you both to go, to stay with him and to pray with him. You desperately wanted to be there for him. You said, of course, Lord, we will be there with you. And Jesus reminded you. He reminded you very, very clearly that the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus would pray for the cup of death to be taken from him. He was overwhelmed with sorrow and fear and anguish as to what was to come, and the two of you just kept falling asleep. Could you not have stayed awake? Could you not have found a way to stay attentive and alert during this most vulnerable time for him? It's okay. I know you were more disappointed in yourselves than anyone ever could have possibly been. You begged him to let you sit on his right and on his left. But in this moment, even the two of you will abandon him. In fact, all of you at this table will eventually abandon him. But for now, they just enjoy the supper, oblivious of what was to come. And maybe too, that was just part of the plan. Have you ever felt like James or John? so desperately wanting to to be right and pleasing God, to do what it is that makes him proud of you. And yet when when it really comes right down to it, you ran. You want him to be proud of you. You want him to think well of you. But when push comes to shove and hard times happen, you run. I have. I've run. And at one time or another, I think we probably all have. I think the truth is this. These guys sitting around this table with Jesus often get a bad rap because we say, how could they not know who he was? How could they not trust? How could their faith be so weak? They walked with him. They ate with him. They talked with him. They lived life with him. They saw the miracles he performed. They watched as hundreds of years old prophecy were fulfilled by him. And yet they still ran. 
You know, I guess we all could probably find a seat at this table somewhere. I'll let you decide what seat you want to sit in, which disciple's place you might take. But sitting at this table with him must have been hard. It must have been much harder than any of us 2,000 years later could have ever possibly imagined. And then it came time to go to the garden. In Mark chapter 14, it says this, they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you sleeping? Couldn't you watch for just one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yes, they went to the garden, the garden of Gethsemane, this special place they had been a number of times together. They had walked through this garden together. But tonight was different. Jesus seemed different. The night air felt a little different. Jesus seemed more emotional, more intense, more burdened with what seemed like the weight of the world upon his shoulders, rightfully so. But again, they just didn't fully understand. Judas, the soldiers, and the other leaders approached. Judas placed a kiss on Jesus' cheek. Peter and the others began to fight. Jesus did not resist. He quickly put a stop to the retaliation. And in a blink of an eye, Peter, James, John, Judas... They were all gone. And in the garden stood the Messiah, some soldiers just doing their job, which was to arrest this criminal. And as he looked around, he was alone. The crime that was committed by Jesus was incredibly vague. The charges against him were even more unclear. As he walked through the garden, he knew there was no turning back. He had prayed for another plan if it were the Father's will. 
And it clearly wasn't. This was to be. The next day, there was a trial. Well, if you can really call it that, it was more of a mockery of the modern system of justice in that day. The desired goal was supposedly justice, but justice was relative and loosely defined by those in power. It was really more about authority and influence and intimidation by the political and religious strong arm of the day. Governor Pilate, the man who was in charge, had the role of judge, didn't really see guilt in this man. But there was no doubt. The verdict of public opinion was in, and he was guilty. And the sentence was simply this, death, death by crucifixion. He carried his own tool of execution on his back up the hill to the place they called Golgotha, also referred to as the skull. Eventually too beaten and bloodied and weak to continue, they grabbed a man from the side of the road and he carried the cross the rest of the way. They mocked him, belittled him, dared him, ultimately just watched as the physical life drained out of him. People came and they laughed and they cheered while others wept and cried. What must his mother Mary have thought? What must she have felt as she stood from afar watching watching this beaten, bruised, and bloody figure walk the road. Some saw a savior that maybe wasn't to be. Others saw a common criminal that needed to die. She flashed back to a moment when he was a baby and she held him in her arms while he cried. And she remembered a moment when he was running around his father's carpenter shop. And she remembered that moment that he got lost in the temple and she couldn't find him. He was a savior to some. He was a criminal to others. But to her, that was her son. He wasn't guilty, but he had to be. He deserved better, but it was not to be. This was the plan, and he was willing to pay the ultimate price. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Later that afternoon, his heavy head slumped. In his final words, he said, Father, I commit my spirit unto you. And with that, he breathed his last breath.
the Savior, the Messiah, the King of the Jews, Jesus Christ, was dead. They took his body, they wrapped it in linens and placed it in a tomb cut out from the rock. And they rolled a large stone over the opening to ensure that it was secured. Common in those days. He was placed in a place just like others were, no different, nothing special, nothing unique. And with that, it was over. So what if? What if that really was the end of the story? What if there was no Easter Sunday? What if he didn't rise from the dead? What if he didn't overcome? What if that was it? Because the people that sat around this table, Mary and his followers and the loved ones, they lived in a what if space for a couple days because they didn't know. They desperately wanted to believe it was right. They desperately wanted to believe he said who he, he was, who he said he was. They desperately wanted him to come back for them. But you know, they asked the question, what if? Church, what if we were able to live in the what if in our life? Because every single one of us has had what if moments that we want it to be this, or we hope it will turn out like this, or we pray that this is going to, but we don't really know. And what if? May we have the faith, the confidence, the boldness, and the courage to lean into the scary, intimidating, anxiety-filled what-if moments of life, just as those that followed him and loved him did 2,000 years ago. May we be a people, may we be followers, and may we be a church that is willing to live in the what-if of Friday and Saturday. There lies incredible faith in a risen Savior. Stand up for me, please, if you will. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to be called your children. God, today's hard. This moment is hard. It's heavy. But God, thank you for having a plan for us, for knowing us and for loving us and sacrificing your precious, precious son. 
Jesus, thank you for the last few moments and days of your life and the journey leading up in what was to come on Sunday. Jesus, thank you for loving us. God, give us the courage and that boldness that I spoke of to to lean into the what if, to live in the what if that, God, we don't always know for sure, but we will have faith and trust and confidence in who you are because of your risen son and our savior, Jesus Christ. Let us live in that, Father, every day. And it's in the name of that risen Savior that we believe and that we pray. Amen. The story does not end there, church. Next Sunday, Easter is here because the story didn't stop at his death. He rose from the grave. Salvation came. Resurrection happened. The conquering of death occurred. The stone was rolled away. Everything happened as he said that it would. Come back next Sunday. Bring your friends, bring your family, bring your neighbors, bring total strangers. We're going to have a party in here next Sunday, okay? We're going to celebrate Easter Sunday because we serve a living, risen Savior. And that's what we're going to do. Our kids, we got petting zoos and egg hunts and donuts, and I don't know what we got. It's going to be all kinds of incredible stuff. All I'm saying is come back next Sunday, Easter Sunday, and let's celebrate the incredible gift and hope of Jesus Christ. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Instagram. You can find and follow us there at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org. 